this morning, please, to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. We'll begin our reading today in verse 15. Isn't it good to be able to hold a copy of God's Word in your hand? To know that every word from the beginning to the end is true. And not only true, but exactly what we need for our lives. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus says, Wherefore I also... After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us were to believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, that filleth all in all. Several years ago, I preached a series of messages studying the prayers of Paul. That's a study I think every Christian should make at some time in their life. It is absolutely amazing, and it's profitable, because those prayers reveal the deepest desires of the apostle and the believer's greatest needs. And as Paul is sharing with them what he is bringing before the throne of grace on their behalf, we're able to sit back and to look into the very heart of the apostle and look into the needs of those Christians in that day. Uh, And here we find in these verses I just read one of those prayers. Paul here prays that they will understand the mysteries of God. There in verse 17 and 18 he's talking about mysteries that we need to be aware of. And then he speaks about the might that is the power of God in verse 19 and 20. But in verses 21 through verse 23, he speaks about the majesty of Christ. A few weeks ago, I preached a message entitled, Christ is All. And uh, that set off a series of thoughts pertaining to Christ. The first message in that series was through Christ. Through Christ. Then I spoke about on Christ. Last week I spoke about in Christ, but today 
I want to speak to you about being under Christ. And again, I want you to notice in verse 22, which is our text this morning, the words under his feet. That describes the subject for this message. And when we talk about being under Christ, we're talking about living in submission to his authority. That's the way that it should be. The Bible very clearly identifies his position in Romans 14 and verse number 9. It says, For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Acts 2.36 says, Therefore, let all of the house know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And then in Philippians chapter 2, we learn that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is indeed Lord. We have a problem in our churches today. We have a lot of problems in our churches today. But I think one of the main problems is the fact that too many preachers are trying to make Christianity acceptable to everyone. And the, the lordship of Christ is almost a forgotten subject, and it should never be that way. Some folks talk about making him Lord in their life. You don't make him Lord. He is both Lord and Christ. And the lordship of Christ is central to the teachings of the New Testament. We speak a lot about Jesus being our Savior, and well, we should, for He is our Savior. But the word Savior is mentioned only 24 times in the New Testament, whereas the word Lord is found 433 times in the New Testament. That's where the emphasis is on Him being Lord. Did you know there is no record of any of the disciples ever in conversation with Him or about Him ever refer to Him by His earthly name? The most common word they used in speaking about Him or to Him was the word Lord. That ought to tell us something. It reminds us that He is indeed Lord. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. And so any discussion of this subject has to be considered in two perspectives. And that's what I want you to think about this morning. Living under Christ. We have to look at it two ways. First of all, you'll notice in our text, verse 22 and verse 23... He's speaking specifically here about the church. So when we talk about Lord, uh, the Lord being the Lord, He's the Lord of the church. He is the Lord of this church. Paul said in Colossians, He is the head of the body, the church. That, that tells us everything, basically, about how we function, how we operate as a church. Uh, we don't have any option concerning this matter. And it's very important that we understand exactly why we call ourselves, for example, independent Baptists. 
Because the Lordship of Christ relates to our independency as a church. We have no right to allow a denomination, a fellowship, a convention, or anything else, some sort of a man-made hierarchy to rule over us. A lot of folks wonder, why are you independent Baptists? A lot of times people will ask, well, are you a Baptist Bible Fellowship? Are you a Southern Baptist? Just what are you? And for them, because they've never been taught, it seems like a strange thing when we say we're just independent, unaffiliated Baptist church. That's all that we are, you see. Christ is our head, and therefore it's our duty, our responsibility as a church to discern His will and do it. And we must never allow any convention, any fellowship, any man-made organization to interfere with our responsibilities. It's not for them to decide what we ought to do. Oh, I know some of them boast about the fact, well, we don't do that. The churches remain independent. Don't tell me because I know there is pressure exerted upon those churches to comply with their wishes to be a part of their organization. I was saved in a church like that. I know exactly what I'm talking about, and I'm well studied in the other churches, the other convention churches and so forth. There is pressure applied to them if they want to be a part of that organization and reap the results. And by that, I'm talking about the benefits of being in that organization where they have the retirement plans and this and that and the other. And, and you know, naturally there's some benefits there. And I've had some preachers tell me, well, I, we would drop out if it wasn't for the fact that the way our church is set up, you know, my retirement's going to depend upon, upon this very thing. How sad that is. I'll tell you one thing, you can fire me, but you're not going to starve me out or keep me from preaching regardless of what you do or anybody else. But look, that's the church's business, how a church operates. They don't get any vote in that matter. But not only does it relate to our responsibility, being an independent Baptist has something also to do with the influence of our, of our reputation. And that ought to matter. Whenever you look and consider Every one of those man-made organizations, at some point in time, you're going to find a black spot on the record. You're going to find some churches. You're going to find perhaps even the whole of the organization taking a stand for something that we totally would disapprove of, something that is in conflict with what the Bible teaches. And so there is this issue and it's an issue that is discussed a lot amongst those people that are involved in those organizations. Well, do we stay in or do we get out? And believe me, they're, they're, they're debating that very issue. Well, you know, we shouldn't get out just because there's a few bad apples. But you know, after a while, those few bad apples have a way of spoiling the whole bushel. After a while... Look, it's not a matter of whether you believe or whether you do what those churches in the organization is doing. It's a matter of the message that you're sending to other people that know you're a part of that organization. So when you hear of some particular Baptist organization doing something that is obviously not scriptural, don't blame us for it because we're not a part of it. We're independent and we're unaffiliated. We're just a local, visible Baptist church. 
Amen? So it matters. But not only does it matter in regards to that, it matters in regards to our mission. As a church, our activities isn't left up to us to decide. You know, we all get together and say, okay, we've got this nice assembly here made up of all of these wonderful people from the, from the Houston area. So what, what shall we do? Uh, should we start a bingo hall? Uh, you know, what should we do? Should we start some sort of a social program? What should we do? Should we jump on the political bandwagon and crusade for a particular candidate? What shall we do? How shall we spend our resources? God didn't leave that up to us. He told us in Matthew chapter number 28 exactly what we're supposed to do. He gives us there what we often refer to as the Great Commission. We're to go into all of the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're to baptize them and then we're to turn around and to train them. And our main business is to reach others for Christ and to train them to serve Him. And if we're not trying to do that, then we're not living under the rule of Christ. That's our orders from headquarters. That's our great commission. Our great commander has told us to go into all of the world. So being under Christ demands that we be independent as a church. It demands that we be involved in worldwide missions, but it also demands that we take an interest in one another. When we talk about the Lord's church, there are many different metaphors used to describe it. It's spoken about being a temple, for example. Uh, a, a building is likened unto that, although this building is not, is not the church. It's the people that are in the building that make up the church. But I think, and the, and the one that is most commonly used is the word body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Paul likens the church to a body, and we are all members in particular. And where each member has a particular function to perform, and where one member looks out for the other member. Notice in verse number 15 what Paul says in regards to this church. He says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, notice, and love unto all the saints... Here was a church that took interest in one another. Last week, I believe it was, I reminded you of the fact that Paul was very careful to make mention of others in all of his writings as he mentions people that we've never heard of before, never heard of since. And yet they are people that were a part of the Lord's church. And again and again, he uses that phrase, one another, Telling us how that we are responsible to care for the, for the needs of one another. And if we're not doing that, then we're not living under the authority of Christ. If we're under Christ, we're going to love one another. We're going to reach out and help one another. Just look out across the room, set your focus on any one person here. It doesn't make any difference who it is. If they're a member of this body and you are a member of this body, then you have a responsibility to that person. We're all responsible one to another by virtue of the fact that we're members of the Lord's body. He's the head of the church and He is our head. He is our master. And we're to show our submission to Him 
by our concern for others. I've heard people say, well, you know, I attended such and such church over there for a year or two years and not one person ever even shook my hand. No one ever spoke to me. And I often wonder to myself, why in the world would you stay in a church like that? If they're not going to shake your hand, they're not going to care whether you starve or not. They're not going to be there in your time of need. I I just can't imagine some organization calling itself a church, a Baptist church. Well, used to be. Well, now I've let the cat out of the bag. But I didn't say anything you didn't know, because if you live in this community, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, That's the biggest bunch of nonsense I ever heard of in my life. And and it's not something that just hearsay one time or two times. I know people over and over and over have made statements like that. Boy, if you're not a part of the in crowd, a part of the clique, you're just on the outside looking in. They'll take your money and let you have a seat if it's not theirs. Yeah. Isn't it sad that churches get in that kind of condition to where they don't care enough about each other to even be there during their time of need. I'm so thankful that this church is not only a friendly church, but this is a church that cares about one another. I, I got a card this week. I, I got a couple of cards, and, but the one was from a teenager. And, and I, I told Bev, I said, you've got to read this. Uh, It is one of the most special cards I've ever received in my lifetime. And it just blew me away to think that, that, that we have teenagers that have that kind of a heart and that kind of spiritual thoughts. It was like, wow. And thank God for that. And that tells me we're headed in the right direction, you know, whenever we see our young people showing that kind of concern for their elders and so forth. And thank God for churches that really have a genuine care one for another. So if we want to know, are we living under the Lordship of of Jesus Christ? Well, are we taking care of one another? Are we involved in, in, in our missionary outreach? Are we allowing some man-made organization to rule over us? We're surely not perfect, but I'll tell you, we're trying to be. So living under Christ involves this whole church body. We don't have an option. But there's another perspective that we have to look at this matter from, and that is from the standpoint of the individual, that is the Christian, because what? What is true in a corporate sense is also true for every single Christian. The church is made up of individuals, and the church will never be any better than the individuals who make it up. Boy, does that ever put a great responsibility on us to think that you and I are the fabric, you might say, out of which this this church is made up. And we can't expect the church to be one thing. Somebody says, well, I just don't think the church is as caring about other people as it ought to be because I know so-and-so, they were sick or they had this need. Nobody reached out to them. Well, did you? Did you? If you didn't, shut up. A lot of times stuff happens we don't know anything about. There's a lot of times stuff happens we can't do anything about. And a lot of times stuff happens that we shouldn't do anything about, and we're not going to tell you why. Rather than embarrass people, 
We do what we do and what we can as the Lord leads us. Because He's the Master. That's where, where we get our information. What a responsibility. Submit to the Lordship of Christ, living under His authority, carrying out His commission, caring one for another. That's a responsibility that every single one of us has. But whenever you think about that word submit, it's not something most people want to do. One preacher several years ago described the day in which we live like this, and I thought it was noteworthy. He said, authority roles, speaking about husbands and parents, teachers and employers, politicians and clergy, previously taken for granted are increasingly being challenged. That's putting it mildly. Because most people today despise authority. They resent the idea of being under anyone. They hate the thought of being accountable. And their motto is do your own thing. And if it feels good, do it. But as followers of Christ, we need the same attitude that he revealed when he said, I do always those things that please Him. Speaking about the Father. It wouldn't, wouldn't it be great to look back on your life and say, I always did what it was that would please my Heavenly Father. I, I'm, I'm convinced that a lot of times that whenever we sing that little chorus, I, I love it to be like Jesus. I, I'm convinced a lot of times we're lying through our teeth. To be like Jesus, you know. As, as though that is our heart's desire, our greatest desire in our life. Just to be like Jesus. Really. Because sometimes we'll sing that and we know that we've been living more like the devil all week instead of living like Jesus. Jesus himself said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? And you know, we examine our life in the light of His commands, in the light of His desires, and we have to say to ourselves, we're not anywhere close to doing what he, what, what he would have us to do. And as you think about living under His authority, there are three perspectives that you have to take into consideration. And so before you say, well, I have submitted myself to Christ, I'm surrendered to Him, I'm living my life under Christ just like it's supposed to be. Well, look back at verse 16. Let's start there. Because here we see that as a student, I'm talking about a Christian student, that we, we have to consider the mind. And notice what he says again, verse 16. Cease, he says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Notice, in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Notice, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and, and what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. When we get saved, whether you realize it or not, we enroll in the school of Christ where He is both the Lord and the teacher. 
over in Matthew chapter number 11, and this is the Lord Himself speaking in this regards. And He says in verse 28, Come unto me. I love that. What a wonderful, gracious invitation that is. Come unto me. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and notice, and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Here we find that the Lord's authority, first of all, is likened unto a yoke. Take my yoke upon you. A yoke is an instrument that's designed to help, not to hinder, but to help. And when you submit yourself to Christ, you are putting yourself in a position to receive the help you need to live the life that He demands. So the yoke is to be a blessing, not a burden. But also the word disciple, and he says, you know, that we're to come to him, we're, we're to follow him. That word disciple simply means a learner. In, in fact, it means really more than that, because when we talk about being a student of Christ, we talk about being a disciple of Christ. The word disciple implies that we not just learn so as to gather information, but that we become an apprentice. And the apprentice is someone who learns and then takes what he learns and puts it into practice. And so here we see that as disciples that we are to be learners. And the yoke is speaking about taming, it's speaking about training, it's speaking about helping us in our difficulties. So when we put on the yoke of Christ, we're putting our mind under His authority to be trained. And that was... That was an absolute necessity, especially for the early saints. They had to, remember, they had to cast off the tradition of their forefathers. That was a tough thing for them to do. And yet, in many instances, that was the very thing that helped them back from coming to Christ and following Christ, the tradition of their forefathers. People still do that today. I had a fellow I worked with, and I know I've told the story years before. He'd gone to a Catholic school, a Catholic university, in fact. He'd become a civil engineer. We traveled together from job to job. And, I, and so one day, and I'd been witnessing to Tom, and uh, so it was in a motel room, sharing a room together, and I took the Bible, and we began to talk about different issues in the Bible, and I said, okay. You believe the Bible? Yeah, oh yeah, I believe the Bible. And so I'd read something from the Bible and I'd say, you know, that's what the Bible says. Is that what you believe? No, that's not what we believe. But I said, I thought you believed the Bible. He said, well, I believe the Bible, but that's not what we believe. And I said, no, wait a minute. If your church, your religion doesn't believe what the Bible says, why don't you change, why don't you change churches? And he said, oh, he said, it's our, it's our religion to, never, to not be able to change our religion. Well, if it's not any good, why wouldn't you change it? You'll be amazed how many people are caught in that trap. I'm going to stay in this loose, liberal, unscriptural organization created by some man rather than Christ because Grandpa was a deacon down there. 
Grandpa's dead and might be in hell. That ain't going to do you any good. You need to get in a good Bible-believing church. So we have to have the mind of Christ in order to overcome the traditions that would lead us astray. We have to have the mind of Christ if we're going to ignore public opinion. Are we going to let public opinion decide what we do as a church? Of course not. We can't do that as individuals. We need the mind of Christ. And so we have to, we have to put our mind, as it were, under the yoke of Christ. And it's just as necessary today as it was for those people back then. Paul deals with this in Philippians chapter number 2, where he tells us that we are to have the mind of Christ. We all have decisions to make, don't we? That raises the question, where do you look for guidance? Who do you depend upon for direction? In other words, what are the determining factors in the decisions that you make? If the answer isn't Christ, then you're depending on the wrong thing. And if I'm going to live my life in submission to Christ, I have to be willing to put my mind under His authority. But it doesn't end there. We also, as servants, as servants of the Lord, we have to consider the will. Look in verse 4 of Ephesians 1. He says, According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, holy and without blame before Him in love. So here we find that we have a responsibility, and this has to do with, you know, with our will. When we talk about our mind, we're talking about naturally our intellect. But this is speaking about our moral obligation. In other words, Christ expects us to believe and to obey. That's why we sing that song, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way. And yet there are those who fail to comprehend how that freedom and obedience can coexist because in their mind the one seems to exclude the other but the Bible tells us that it is in submission to Christ that we find freedom you shall know what the truth and the truth shall what it shall make you free in other words we have the freedom that we never had before And it is a freedom to do as we should rather than as we please. The only truly free person is someone who has yielded themselves to Christ. Are you living under Christ? Well, as a student, is your mind under the authority of Christ? As a servant of God, is your will surrendered to the will of God? But then as a son... Son, a daughter, one of God's children, we have to look at the matter of love. Notice again there in verse number 4, that little phrase, in love. That we be what? Without blame. To live a blameless life. That is where the world can point no finger accusing us and bringing some indictment against us that could be proven. We're to be blameless. And notice he says, it's to be in love. I just got through telling us that we ought to obey Him. That is, we have a moral obligation to do His will. But notice, this is much, much more than just 
doing the right thing, it's doing the right thing out of love. It's doing the right thing with joy. That has to do with our affections. So now you see we have the mind involved, we have the will involved, and now we have the affections involved. You know, we could say, I, I believe a person ought to pray, don't you? Everybody, oh yeah, we, we ought to pray. We're Christians, we ought to pray. I could say, well, we ought to read our Bibles, don't you believe that? Oh yeah, we believe that. Well, let's all get up here on our knees and pray. Well, I'm not, I, don't, I don't want to do that. And so we get our ushers to come back by, you know, and, uh, well, pull out a persuader and say, you're going to pray this morning. You're going to walk down that aisle and you're going to get on your knees and you're going to, oh, not only that, you're going you're to tithe when you go out the door. Now, you see, you could, you could have done the right thing, but would you be doing it out of love? Twelve-gauge shotgun's pretty impressive, right? Get people to do a lot of things, but they're not going to do it cheerfully. They're not going to do it out of love. And we need to understand that if we're living under Christ, if we're living a life that is surrendered to Christ, it must be done out of love. It must be done with joy. I love the story of, of the bond slave over in Exodus chapter number 21. What an amazing story. I mean, here is a man who is living his life in subjection to his master. He has no way out, by the way, except for the fact that God in His mercy dictated a law that every seven years you've, you've got to give them their freedom. But the bond slave... The bond slave was a person who made himself a slave for life by saying at the end of the seven years, I will not take my freedom. I will not go out free. I'm going to stay with my, because I love my master. That's a bond slave. You, why would he say something like that? Because he knew that he was better cared for under the authority of his master than he was out there on his own. He didn't have the means. He didn't have the wisdom. He didn't have the power, the knowledge, and what he needed to live successfully. But he knew that living here under the authority of my Master, I know my needs are going to be supplied. I know I'm going to be protected. I know I'll have what I need because He cares for me and I love Him. I'll not go out for it. That ought to be our attitude toward the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what true love is all about, the desire to please its object. And that's exactly the point John, Jesus made in John chapter 14, where He said, you know, if you love Me, you'll keep My commandments. The only question is, do we love the Lord enough that we're willing to obey Him? David said, I delight to do Thy will, O my God. Wouldn't it be great if every single church member, every single Christian said, I delight to do thy will. I don't care what it is, where it is, or anything else. If it's God's will, I take great delight in that. That ought to be the attitude of every single one of us. Over in John chapter 13, you don't have to turn there. You probably know what it says. Shortly before... Our Lord is taken and crucified. He gathers those men in an upper room. 
and he washes their feet out of the greatness of his love for those unworthy followers he washed their stinking feet and then he tells them as I have done unto you so you do unto one another but then he makes this statement he said those that do happy are ye if you do as I've done unto you I mean, you want to be really, truly satisfied and happy in life, then the only way for us to do that is to place ourselves under His authority and to do what He says. And that's where we'll find the greatest gratification in life. Being under His feet puts us in the best possible position. Why do you say that, preacher? Well, number one, because He's holy. He's not going to mistreat you. He's holy. Number two, he's wise. Far wiser than we can even begin to understand. Number three, it's the best place because he is loving. And number four, because of the greatness of his power that's able to provide everything that he has promised. Let me tell you, you aren't safe anywhere else except under the authority of Christ. You'll never be satisfied anywhere else except under Christ. And knowing that we are living where we ought to be under the authority of Christ is the best possible place to live. Isn't that what Jesus had in mind in Matthew 6, 33? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. We talk about a kingdom. We're talking about authority. We're talking about kingdom. We're talking about the subjects that are to be submissive to the authority over them. Seek ye first above everything else the kingdom of God, His rule in your life, and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Doing as we are commanded in that verse, provides us with the provisions that we need for life. Read the verses prior to that, and you'll see that's exactly what he's talking about. He said, you don't need to, you don't need to worry about whether I'll provide for you. Just look at the lilies of the field, the birds of the air. I, you know, I feed the birds, and I cause the lilies to grow, and they, they don't spin, they don't toil, they don't do anything. I take care of them. And if you'll seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, I'll provide the provisions that you need. I'll provide the power that you need for the struggles that you face. I'll provide peace. Life is what it is, folks, and we can't change that. It's hard on everybody. But I'll tell you, we have the wonderful promise of a peace that passeth all understanding. And that peace comes as a result of knowing I am where I ought to be and God will do as He promised He would. Now, wouldn't it be foolish to deprive yourself of those things? Deprive yourself of the provisions that are promised. Deprive yourself of the peace that is offered. I think I'd be foolish. Why would you do that? And yet many folks are. They just stubbornly refuse to put their life under His authority. Who are we to refuse Him? I'll never forget. By the way, you know, those that are on the 
those that, that are under him, they're the ones on the winning side. If you don't believe that, you just go ahead and read in the book of Revelation and one of these days, one of these days, he's going to sit on his throne. One of these days, he's going to rule with a rod of iron. One of these days, he's going to conquer all of the evil nations. One of these days, he's going to take control and they'll be at his feet and we'll rule and reign with him. I'll never forget Curtis Hudson, and most of you don't know who that is, but Curtis Hudson was the editor of the Sword of the Lord. And in other words, after John R. Rice died, he took that plot. I'll never forget hearing Curtis Hudson sing an old song that most of you never heard of before. It's called, I'm on the Winning Side. The man was standing there dying of cancer. And his last message, and standing there dying of cancer, ended the message singing that old song. I'm on the winning side. And if you're a Christian living your life under Christ, please know you're on the winning side. You can't lose. The best is yet to come. Amen? The best is yet to come. And you'll never shed a tear. You'll never have an ounce of regret that you followed Christ throughout the days of your life. Would you do that? If you're here this morning, Jesus said, might be somebody here that's lost. Jesus said, come on to me. Come to me. To make it difference who you are or what you've done, Jesus has a place for you. Come unto me. And he said, if you come to him, he'll in no wise cast you out. He'll receive you this morning. And if you're a child of God out of the will of God, let me tell you, you're hurting yourself. You're hurting. You Don't do that. Don't deprive yourself any longer. Get yourself under Him this morning. Live for Him. Live on the winning side. Father, how we thank You for the great provisions that Christ made there when He died on the cross. How we thank you for the demonstration of his great power when he rose from the grave. How we thank you, Lord, for the picture of his authority as we think about him reigning and ruling over the earth and throughout all of eternity. God, forgive us of the times that we've been stubborn, the times that we, we just determined that we're going to do as we pleased instead of what pleases you. And Lord, this morning I just pray you help each and every one of us to place ourselves under you, under your authority, under your protection. We might love you more and serve you better and be cheerful about it every second of every day. For we beg it in Jesus' name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing together, would you come? Come on.